0: Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, we now finally are going to get back into our text. So you can turn there, Leviticus chapter sixteen. Uh, I know I said we were going to be in 17, but all the rest of that was just introduction to chapter 16, and today if I was going to give the message a title, it would be the priest and the scapegoat. How many of you have ever been a scapegoat? Have you? It is no fun. I mean to tell you, I grew up in a Christian home. I was blessed that I was raised in church. When I was six years old, my parents were uh, youth sponsors at a summer camp, and uh, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ when I was six years old, Uh, kindergarten. In the third grade, life had been great for me up until then. (laughs) How many of you can remember the third grade? Anything about it? Yeah, some of you can, you young people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, there are certain things in my life that I remember just like it happened yesterday. And until this time, I was the most carefree. Do you know any third graders? Carefree. I had no problems. I Life was just fun and school was fun and everything was fun. And we were running down steps, kind of like these, but a lot steeper. I mean, these huge cement steps down to the playground to play kickball. Any of you play kickball? All right, so we're running down the steps, carefree, never had a problem in my life. There's this girl that everyone picked on in front of me as we're running down the steps, and somebody, I don't know who, reached through me and pushed her, and she tumbled down those steps. I mean, she got cut up, beat up, bruised up, and I was the one right behind her, And they all, whoever did it, said, I saw him, he did it. I became his scapegoat. You know what I mean? For the rest of the school year, I could not go to recess. And every recess, I had to go to the principal's office and sit there, and I didn't even do it. It is no fun to be blamed for something that you didn't do. Being a scapegoat is no fun. If you've ever been one, believe me, that impacted me. All of a sudden, I learned that, man, there's bad people in the world. I never knew that. I had never met one until then. It's not my fault. People today have this whole idea that anytime they do something wrong, they always try to blame it on somebody else. Have you seen that? Especially in our who? Politicians. <laughs> it's like they can't just man up and take what they've done and, and go through it. Uh, There's a country song, It's Not My Fault, you know, blame the, uh, I forget how it goes, but anyway, it's always find blame in somebody, but never take it yourself. Today, our text is all about the scapegoat, and we're going to find some really interesting things. Dwight Eisenhower, do you remember that guy? Okay. He said, the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. You see, people are always looking for someone else to blame for mistakes that they make. Most of us at some time in our lives have been a scapegoat or we've all uh, made somebody a scapegoat. Other terms we might say is we threw them under the bus, right? Or we found a fall guy, (laughs) right? But scapegoat really is a biblical term. The definition is a person or group that is made to bear the blame for others. And we get the phrase from our text this morning, Leviticus chapter 16. You know, there's a lot of phrases in English that come from the Bible, that come from Judeo-Christian ethics and Judeo-Christian principles. According to the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, on the Day of Atonement, a priest would confess the sins of the nation onto the head of this goat, and they would tie a red ribbon around the head of the goat, and then they would escorted about 10 miles from the camp and let it go in the wilderness. This goat was known as the scapegoat. It bore their sins away. Remember the eight Israeli feasts. The first one, the spring feast, is Passover. And that's Christ's death. Unleavened bread, that's his burial. First fruits, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter Sunday morning. Then we have the Feast of Weeks that brings us to Pentecost, the the birth of the church. And then we have the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And that's the day no one knows the day or the hour. It's the hidden feast and it points to the rapture. And then we have Yom Kippur and that's what our text talks about today. And that's why we've spent so much time on eschatology for the past four weeks. Because Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the rescue, the rapture, and the judgment of God prophetically speaking and then we have tabernacles which represents the millennial reign of Christ we will celebrate that feast it's really interesting on this earth for a thousand years the people that we rule over on this earth that don't celebrate the feast of tabernacles what does it say will happen to them they won't have rain for a year interesting and then Hanukkah is the feast of lights or dedication, and that points to the new Jerusalem that descends onto the new earth where we spend eternity. So all these feasts have a prophetic idea. Remember, Christ has come to the planet three times. Am I, is my math right? Don't look up there. Is it three or two? It's three, right? The first coming, he came in the flesh as what? Son of man. The second time, when he raised from the dead, he came back to the earth. The second time, son of God. And the third time, he will come back as king of kings. Amen? So he came as prophet, priest right now. He is our high priest. And we're going to talk about that as we get into Leviticus chapter 16. And he will come as king and reign for a thousand years. Amen? I love that. Oh, Thank you. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. Let's get into the text, shall we? And we're going to read this as fast as we can because I know how much we love Leviticus. (laughs) Uh, Starting in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Oh, remember what happened there? What happened? Hey, it was their first day. They just dedicated the tabernacle. They were just ordained priests. It was their first priestly duty. And they were bringing the fire of incense to the altar. But God called it strange fire. What happened to him? He instantly killed them. They died, right? The strange fire was the attitude of their heart, not the incense in the thing and we talked about that at length way back when we covered that when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died and the Lord said to Moses tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil which is talking about what the holy of holies so in the tabernacle remember we have the gate we have the altar we have the water basin We have the holy place, the first part of the tent, and where that glory of God, where the pillar of fire is, is right over the holy of holies, where the mercy seat is. And God's saying, Aaron shall not enter the holy of holies inside the veil before what? The mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. I, w- I want to make this really understandable. We only fear one thing as Christians. What is it? God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the idea is we need to have a holy reverence. And in our culture, it's so easy to say, oh, my butt upstairs. You know, my, you know, hey, we, we flippantly enter into the presence of God. You know, it's a reverent, sacred, holy thing to enter into the presence of God. People died in the Old Testament when they entered that. It's interesting, that veil, we're going to talk about it um, later in the sermon this morning, but what happened when Jesus Christ died? The veil was torn, veil was torn top to bottom. What, what was God saying? Hey, Jesus, Yeshua made the way inside the veil, and now we have access, right? But still in Leviticus, Jack, welcome. We're in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 3. Just for you, we're going through the book of Leviticus today. (laughs) Aaron shall enter the holy place with this with bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and the attire of the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Any other translations for that word right there in verse 8? Scapegoat. In the Hebrew, it's really Azazel, all right? And that is significant, and we're going to talk about that. Keep going, verse 9. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and make it a sin offering. But on the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat, or Azazel fell, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and ascend it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bowl of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall slaughter the bowl of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. Verse 14, wherever he will take some of the blood of the gull and sprinkle it, and he does it seven times, and we talked about this when we talked about the sacrifices. Skip down, if you would, all the way down to verse 20. When he finishes anointing the holy place in the tent of meeting, we covered all the rest of the sacrifices here before. And the altar, he shall offer the live goat. What's the live goat? The The scapegoat, right? Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities. Sound familiar? To a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron will go back to the tent of meeting, he will bathe, then one who led the goat out will bathe, and the rest of this is just what happens after that. But this morning, I really want to focus on the scapegoat. If you notice in Leviticus 16 verse 30, if you still have your Bibles open or it's up on, on the screen, for on this day, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, you shall make atonement to be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. This is the day, the day of atonement, that all Israel repents. They look at the scapegoat, and they know that the scapegoat bore their sin. Sounding like Christ? Right? Okay. It's really, really cool, though. And know that the goat carries away all their sin, just like Jesus did. It's a day that all Israel is saved. The good thing about it, coming up to the Day of Atonement, do you know any Jewish people? Usually they try to make amends for any wrongs they've committed for the past year. So it's a good time to ask Jewish people for money, uh, favors, uh, you know, because they're trying to make up for all their sins for the whole year. But on the Day of Atonement, as they see the scapegoat walk away, guess what? They know they are clean, clean. They are forgiven. They are cleansed. That goat took their sins. Interesting. The purpose of Yom Kippur was twofold. First, to be clean. The whole idea is that you need to be clean to enter the presence of God. Amen? Remember Aaron? If he didn't, what would happen to him? We just read it. He's going to die. This involves repentance, blood sacrifice, and the scapegoat. Only the priests could make atonement for sin. No one else could do it. The second purpose of Yom Kippur is just as important, but it could be easily missed as we read it, to be clean before the Lord. And the idea in the Hebrew is to have fellowship or koinonia with God. We are the only religion, especially back then, that not only would they atone for sins of the people to appease the gods, but that we can have personal relationship with God. That's why we say, hey, we're not a religion, we're about a what? Relationship. That's why we say that. Here is where we find the Bible making significant breaks from every other religion. First of all, the idea of a scapegoat, no other religion in the world has this concept. In their religious things where they actually lay hands put the sins of a nation or of a people onto an animal and then let it go free we're the only ones that do that and this is the only place in the bible where it talks about a scapegoat interesting god desires to have relationship with us you see that's why when christ died the veil was ripped And he goes, now, man, he is the way that you can come into my presence, amen? During a special ceremony at Yom Kippur, and we read it, Aaron would select two male goats on which lots were to be drawn. Now, here's where it's interesting in the Hebrew. Both of the goats were to be unblemished, healthy, and as much alike as possible. One lot was inscribed for Yahweh. Remember, LORD in all caps in your Bible, is the proper name of God, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh, or Yahweh. And on the other was inscribed, now this is interesting, for Azazel, the scapegoat for the wilderness. Now you would think if one said for Yahweh, why do we have another one for some guy named Azazel? And who is it? Because in the Hebrew, that's what it says. This is the only place that Hebrew word, Azazel, is used in the whole Bible. But we do have an extra biblical book that this word is used. Have you ever heard of the book of Enoch? Okay, it's in the Septuagint, and it's the only uh, apocryphal book that's quoted In the Bible the book of Enoch is quoted in Jude okay in the book of Enoch it says chapter 6 verse 7 chapter 9 verse 6 and chapter 10 verse verses 4 through 6 Azazel is portrayed as the leader of the fallen angels who's the leader of the fallen angels Satan. Satan in fact most scholars Hebrew scholars say this has to be pointing to a person not a place Azazel. Okay. What's even interesting is, remember, El back then meant what? God. And any God could be called El. Oh, yeah. It's just, it just means God. Like in the Greek, it's Theos means God. Even false gods could be called Theos or El, right? Okay. So we know it's could potentially some leader of a group, and potentially the book of Enoch got it, Potentially it's Satan itself. So then why would there be two goats, one upon which was slaughtered, that was for Yahweh, and presented on the altar, and the other one, the sins are put on it, and it's set free to go wander in the wilderness. One theory is this. Do you know that God, when he makes covenant, he cannot break it? Do you know that? That God cannot lie and he cannot break covenant. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden? We broke covenant with God and God told him on the day that you eat of it, you will die. You no longer will be the, the, the rulers of this world. Apparently at that moment, Satan became the ruler of the world. Remember when Christ was tempted And Satan brought him up on that high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you the earth. I'll give you title deed to the earth back. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Of course, Jesus wouldn't bow down to him. So it's very interesting that something is going on here behind the scenes that we don't know about. Have you ever wondered why God allows Satan to continue to exist? You know one of the best arguments against God is this. If God is all good and all powerful, then why does he allow Satan to exist? Have you ever heard this argument? If God is all good and all powerful, he could stop all sickness, disease, rape, bad things. He could he could wipe Satan out and all the demons like that. If he's all good and all powerful, But Satan exists, either A, he's not all good, or B, he's not all powerful, or C, let me add another one, God will not break covenant. Are you with me? There is a covenant going on that we don't know about. That's how Satan can be the ruler of this world. That's what he's called in the Bible right now. That's why all the evil can happen. Do you think God wants little children to be abused? No, there's some limiting thing that he can't break covenant. And because of this, evil exists. Are you with me? Now, one day he will conquer evil. When Christ comes, when he breaks that seven sealed document, remember he's found worthy. Guess what that document is? I believe it's title deed to the earth. Seven people witnessed this document. When he breaks the seventh seal, only then can he uh, invoke judgment on the planet again. It's kind of interesting. So all of that is something interesting. For Azel, we don't know what it is. Uh, Brother, death is thrown into the lake of fire. evil? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So death, Hades, hell, it's all going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So, yeah, there will be no evil now here's what's interesting this scapegoat would have to have to go to the farthest place from the true tabernacle in the wilderness it bore their sins where did christ go when he died into hades right so he went to the place literally of the gentiles because in the old covenant we had abraham's bosom could we call it paradise maybe Hey, Christ unto the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's Abraham's bosom at at that moment. And we have Sheol, which is the other part of Hades, which is the place where it's hot and miserable. Kind of like Palm Springs or Death Valley. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's really bad. So he went down there to the ultimate wilderness place the farthest place from the true tabernacle in heaven sheol itself but he was alive in spirit and would be raised again in the flesh amen matthew 12:40 it says for just as jonah was 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of the sea monster so will the son of man be 3 days and 3 nights in the heart of the earth guess what that is sheol That's Hades. Remember the Apostles' Creed? We've been saying it at communion. Let's just, I'm going to read it quick. You know, you can say it with, well, let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, surrendered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Whoa, not hell, Sheol, really. But hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living or the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit as baptism and gifting of believers, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, salvation through faith alone, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting I believe all this through God's holy word and his faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so even the Apostles' Creed talks about where Christ went, the ultimate wilderness place when he died. That scapegoat that they sent out to Azazel to them represented the place furthest from the tabernacle it could go carrying their sins. Are you with me? Okay, Ephesians four 4.8 says, Therefore it says when he ascended on high and led captive a host of captives, what's that probably talking about? Everyone in Abraham's bosom, he went down. They waited for that day and now he took them back up. They're no longer down there. The rest of the dead though, man, they're going to wait until the second resurrection, which is at the end of the millennial reign. And he gave gifts to men Verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? That's always referring to Hades. Uh, I know the Apostles' Creed says hell, but the idea is that, Hades, hell, down there. He who descended is... Himself Also, he ascended far above all the heavens. Acts 2.24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For as David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at the right, my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to what? Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So Jesus is both priest and scapegoat. Remember when we talked about the qualifications of a, a priest? One of the things, what did God tell Aaron and the sons that were still alive after the two sons died? He said, hey, high priest, you are not allowed to rip your clothes or to put on sackcloth or to mourn like everybody else. Remember, he told Aaron that. And what would happen if he did it? He's going to lose the priesthood and potentially die. Guess what the high priest did? Remember when we read it? When Christ was before him, what did the high priest say? He blasphemes and he rent his clothes. He gave up the priesthood. Guess who became high priest legally at that time? And we went through all the scriptures that proved... Jesus Christ was legally high priest when he was crucified. You can go to a Jew today and prove it. Man, look, watch that sermon if you haven't done it. Jesus Christ legally became high priest before he was crucified. And he offered himself. Because remember, we talked about it in the beginning. Only the priest, high priest, can make atonement on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Christ was legally high priest. And he was scapegoat. Two goats, one sacrifice. Remember the verse, Leviticus 16, 5. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a singular sin offering. The two goats were one offering. Christ was one offering that fulfilled them all. The ram, the lamb, the goats, all of it. Both are called the sin offering. Jesus fulfilled both in his death and in his going to Hades to conquer death, hell, and the grave. So potentially that is the reference to Azazel is that he went to Hades, which is called what a lot of people think. Hey, Satan's domain, Satan's dominion, okay? According to Maimonides, who is that guy? He's a Jewish what? Rabbi, sage, yeah. Azazel symbolically represented the extreme point of being outside the camp of Israel in the land of the Gentiles. The furthest point was Hades, where you, you couldn't go any further than that. Jesus came for the Gentiles and the Jews first. He bore our sin just like the scapegoat, and he took our sin to Azazel. Interesting. Interesting. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22. 2 Corinthians 5:21. He made him to, who knew no sin to be sin, scapegoat, on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The sending of the way of the goat to Azazel is regarded as one of the central rites of Yom Kippur. It's really interesting. I read as much as I could find in the Midrash and the Talmuds and uh, rabbinic writing about the scapegoat. Most of the sages have no idea why God had them ritually place their sins on a goat and not crucify it, sacrifice it, but let it go free. They had no idea. Folks at all points to Jesus Christ he became sin on our behalf Yeshua became our scapegoat all the sins of the world were put on Christ and he paid for them and took them away Christ is a complete atonement for all our sins he completely fulfills the day of atonement all the sacrifices he's the priest he's the sacrifice and he's our scapegoat our sins fall on him you can argue that part of the wilderness christ his separation from god the father because uh, the father you know uh, he he said father why hast thou forsaken me because god had to turn his back exactly back to the scapegoat scapegoat and the red fabric they tie around its head it's kind of interesting Remember the goat? It means Azazel, right? Scapegoat. In the Hebrew, literally, is Azazel. The Septuagint translates Azazel in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 10, as the one to be sent or taken away. Septuagint is the Greek version of the Hebrew manuscripts, okay? Written way back. On the Day of Atonement, the Jews would cry out after the priests, would lay his hands on that scapegoat and, and put all their sins on it, tie the red band around its head, they would say, away with him, away with him. And one guy would lead him to the wilderness place. It's interesting that when Christ was crucified, John chapter 19, verse 1, Pilate took Christ and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Guess what that would look like? Kind of a red band around his head. Hmm. Red around his head, and John nineteen fourteen. Now uh, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, "Behold, your King." And they cried out, "Away with him! Away with him!" Now, what would they do with the scapegoat? That's exactly what they cried. The same words. Away with him, away with him as the man. And they would keep shouting it until it disappeared from the thing as he had the red around his head. And they shouted the same thing. Do you think it was reminiscent of the scapegoat? Anyone who had ears to hear, and they probably recollected that day when Christ rose again and many Jews came to the Lord. They made up the whole early church. Jews and Pharisees. They remembered Christ was our scapegoat. He bore our sins. Azazel, the one to be taken away. Away with him. Later they would see the scapegoat and the red cloth would turn white if God accepted the sacrifice. But they, we already know God accepted it. How do we know? One day a year, Aaron, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies, Day of Atonement, right? All the rabbinical writings say they would tie a cord around him, and if the bells stopped ringing on the base of his garment, they knew God didn't accept the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of the bull and the one goat, the first goat. God didn't accept it. He died. They had pulled him out, (laughs) The scapegoat would never then even get a chance to be used because the priest had died and only the high priest could do it. Are you with me? Okay. So they already knew if God accepted it, the priest would come out alive. If he didn't, he would be dead. (laughs) But theory has it that they would see the white, the red would then turn white on the scapegoat that they may see it a second time. Now, there's a lot of conjecture. Some say they would take them up to a high cliff and push them off, the scapegoat. Okay, I can't find that in Scripture. And yeah, there is theory. I know uh, one uh, Talmudic author said something to that effect. Um, We don't know, but they would see the cloth again. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like red scarlet, They will be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Talmud itself attests to that when Christ was crucified, that red cloth never turned white again. Now this is really cool. In the Talmud, there is an amazing reference. The Talmud states, 40 years before the temple was destroyed. When was the temple destroyed? 70 A.D., Titus and his Roman army came in. They tore the temple apart. They burned it. The Arch of Titus in Italy today, Rome, you can go and they see him carrying the menorah, the candlestick, and the articles of the temple. 70 A.D., so 40 years out would be 30 A.D. Remember when we talked about and proved that Christ was most likely crucified 30 A.D., not 33 A.D.? Are you with me? He was probably born 6 to 7 to 8 B.C., not 080 or 180, right? Forty years, now note this, before the temple was destroyed, making it 30 A.D., the very year Christ was crucified, the chosen lot was not picked with the right hand, nor did the crimson stripe turn white, the red that they would put on the scapegoat, nor did the west. Westernmost light burn, and the doors of the temple holy place swung open by themselves. Remember when the curtain was ripped when Christ died? And I guess even further was the curtain ripped. The doors swung open by themselves to the temple. And Rabbi Yaakonobah ben Yaakai spoke, saying... O most holy place, why have you become disturbed? I know full well that your destiny will be destruction, for the prophet Zechariah ben Edo has already spoken regarding you, saying, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, for the fire may devour the cedars. Zechariah 11.1, Talmud, Bavli Yoma 39b. All right, so what did they just say there? In 30 AD, the year that Christ was crucified, God no longer accepted the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because it was complete in Jesus Christ. The red never turned white again. God never accepted another sacrifice because their sacrifice now was complete in Yeshua, Jesus Christ. I love that the Talmud has that in it. Proving that Christ, again, is the Yom Kippur sacrifice, is the scapegoat and the high priest. Jesus was the final scapegoat. Turn to Isaiah 53. We all know it, but let's just read verses 1 through 6. Uh, You know... It says that there's a veil that still lies over their head. Now, uh, Jews for Jesus, I I know a lot of people don't like that group too much. But uh, we are commanded to go to the Jew first and then the Gentile with the gospel. And there are many Jews coming to the Lord. Jack can meet, talk to Jack after the service because he is like the, our Hebrew Jewish scholar back there. And he, but many people are coming to the Lord. Jews. How many? Do you know, Jack? Well, Jana and my wife and I, we spent a month in Israel this year and uh, went to a lot of Messianic Jewish congregations. There are thousands of Jewish believers. It's still a small percentage, but it's growing fast. Mm, Amen. And, you know, it's just amazing. So even now, we're commanded to go to the Jew first and then the Gentile with the gospel message. Chapter 53, verse 1. I, I love when you read this to a rabbi, and this is another part of your question, without telling him where it is. I've done it. And, and Jack, this one, said, that's in the New Testament. That's not in the Old, in our Torah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he was has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his stripes we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's what the scapegoat on the day of atonement was all about. Christ became the ultimate scapegoat. And the Talmud even says the year that Christ died, God never accepted another Day of Atonement sacrifice again. It was complete in Christ. Yeah. Yep, amen. Yep. So Hebrews 9, you can read it later, verses 1 through 15. It really talks about him being that final, complete sacrifice, uh, the scapegoat. This is the day when we will experience atonement and Israel will be saved. Remember, the Day of Atonement, we have the Feast of Trumpets, which prophetically represents the rapture. And the Day of Atonement occurs right after the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, then the Day of Atonement, or Rosh Hashanah, then Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That goes into the salvation of Israel. They will look upon Christ whom they pierced and mourn and be taken to the wilderness and protected for three and a half years. Guess what? They're going to see the scapegoat come back, and this time he's going to be white. No more red. The red cord will have been turned white. And... In Romans, the Apostle Paul says, Man, a partial hardening of Israel has happened till the fullness of Gentiles come in. Then all Israel will be saved. They will look upon him who they pierced and mourn. It will be the prophetic fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. The priest and the scapegoat. Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is both priest, blood sacrifice, and scapegoat. The beautiful thing about this is... Under the law on on the Day of Atonement, when you watched the scapegoat go away, you knew, he's bearing all my sin. You knew you were, God was not holding you accountable for any mistake you ever did. It's not that you had to earn God's love. Even back then, it was grace. God provided a different sacrifice to die in your place, right? Just like Abraham when he was about to offer Isaac, God stopped him, the angel, and provided a sacrifice. Just like us, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, became our scapegoat, our sacrifice. Don't let the enemy say, man, you're too sinful. You've blown it. God doesn't love you. Believe me, Jesus Christ paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. You do not have to bear it yourself. He is our scapegoat. It'll be totally fulfilled in the Day of Atonement. We know the Day of Atonement, Revelation 6, there's going to be a great war in heaven. At the breaking of the sixth seal, or Revelation chapter 12. Why does this war break out? Because what is Jesus about to do? He's about to take possession of the earth back from Satan. Satan says, no, you're not. So the Antichrist goes into the temple on earth and says, guess what? I'm God. And at the same moment, Satan goes to war with Michael and all the good angels and the demon and all the bad angels. They go to war. You're not taking back the earth, right? What happens? Michael and his angels win. Christ breaks the sixth seal. He breaks the seventh seal and begins to take possession of the earth and then returns, fights the battle of Armageddon, the final battle, then and establishes his kingdom on this earth it no longer is satan's and that's why satan and um, susie the stars from heaven that fell at the breaking of the sixth seal are those angels being cast in i really believe it uh, symbolically so that's pretty interesting all of this happens feast of trumpets right Rosh Hashanah represents a rapture, day of atonement. All Israel is going to be saved. They're going to see the scapegoat. They're going to mourn, repent, and be protected in the wilderness for three and a half years, the last three and a half years. And I love it in verse 10. Revelation 12, after that war in heaven and uh, God's army is victorious, it says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and power. You think that's referring to day of atonement? Hey, that's when they were saved. That's when they were atoned for. Salvation is all about atonement. Christ paid for our sins. Thus we're saved. Now salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. Remember, he now takes possession of the earth. And Satan's finally kicked out of heaven. This all happens on the day of atonement. Romans 11:25. We have four minutes. Hang on. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hard- hardening has happened to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved. For just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When does he do that? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What happens then? The rapture happens. What happens to Israel? They look upon him and they pierced. They mourn, they repent. And God says, now you're my people, takes them to the wilderness, protects them for three and a half years during the wrath of God. The day of atonement when all Israel repents, And are protected again by God. They will see their sin forgiven. Oh, the scapegoat went to Azazel but turned white. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. So they will look on on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of the firstborn. This is at the breaking of the sixth seal just after the abomination of desolation. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. This isn't the second coming. Israel is already protected in the wilderness. They've already repented. They're in covenant relationship with God already. Second coming, Christ comes and fights the battle of Armageddon, then goes victoriously to Mount Zion, and they herald him king. They don't mourn at the second coming. That's the rapture. All right, I'm going to skip that. All right, so the day of atonement. Leviticus chapter 16. Wow, we made it through the chapter. The red has become white. Our sin has been taken away. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all Israel, whoever that are left, will be saved. Jesus will take back authority over all the earth. He'll judge those that didn't receive his free gift of atonement. And victory will finally be won over all things as we approach. Remember that only the high priest could go behind the veil. Remember when Christ died, the veil was torn top to bottom. This morning... I want to ask you a question. Christ paid for your sins. Have you received that forgiveness? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the enemy say, you blew it again, you've blown it too many times. Believe me, what Christ did on the cross is more than enough to pay for any sin you ever commit. He loves you this morning. The veil is ripped and he's made away. Hebrews 4.14, and I'm going to close with these two verses. Oh, well, a few verses. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the Holy of Holies through the veil. Oh, that place that if Aaron didn't do it right, he was going to be killed. So let us go with reverence, but let us go with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This morning, the Lord would say to you this, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing. Whatever burdens you've been carrying, you're a child of the king. You're a child of the living God, as Pastor Chris talked about in his homily. Man, greater are the the power that is with us than the armies that are against us. Sennacherib can't do anything. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is, of, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, meditate on these things, amen? God loves you this morning. He atoned for our sins. Oh, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, prophetically will come. All Israel is going to be saved. They will see the scapegoat clean (laughs) and figure out what all the prophecies meant that they're now missing and even what the Talmud says. Mm, God bless you. If you need prayer, Pastor Chris and I will be in the back. Um, John, we'll sing this song to the Lord. John 7, 38 says Christ said he who believes in me as a scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water do you have that the joy of the Lord rivers of living water we need it amen God bless you Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me, strengthens and restores my soul.